Episode 97, Anthony Trucks, foster kid turned NFL athlete, author of the new book, Identity Shift. And I think my greatest mistake was opening a business after the NFL. It's such an interesting oxymoron, right? Like your favorite mistake. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links to Anthony's book and website and a whole lot more, go to markgraven.com slash mistake97. Thanks for listening. Our guest today is Anthony Trucks. I want to tell you a little bit about him. He is a foster kid turned NFL athlete, and we've had some other pro athletes on the show, but Anthony is the first person I've interviewed who did well, was on American Ninja Warrior on NBC. So before uh, I tell everyone more about Anthony, let me first off say thank you and, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm the, uh, first Ninja Warrior guy. Yeah. Feel good, man. I was watching before we got going, you know, I researched, um, you know, your, your business work and everything that you're doing, but the, uh, the clip that I saw from American Ninja Warrior was, uh, was impressive. So maybe that's something we can chat about later on here in the episode. Yeah. Count me in, man. Happy to. That's fun times. Good memories there. So Anthony is an international speaker. He does a lot of things. He is a host of a podcast called Awe Shift and Shift Starter. You're going to hear a pattern here. We're going to talk a lot here today about shifting. He is an author. He's a founder of Identity Shift Coaching. Anthony is a serial entrepreneur. He, uh, as he describes it, he has one serious superpower uh, beyond the ninja warrior skills. Um, he, he describes it as making shift happen no matter what by accessing the power of identity. So his book is Make Shift Happen, How to Up Your Game and Elevate Your Success in Life. It's out here August 24th. 24th, so I hope you'll check it out. I was being so careful to not mess up or make a mistake with the word shift. Mm. I messed up trying to read a date. So It's all <laughs> right. Make- hey, you got hey, to roll with the punches, man. You just got to make shift happen. We'll be all right. I don't want to have to go back and bleep myself if I. Uh... <laughs> oh, it's good. It's, uh, the, stuff, the best stuff, the most normal stuff is where you have to mess it up and you fix it in real time. People go, oh, they're human. And then we're, we continue rolling. That's, that's the main theme of the podcast. We're all human. We all make mistakes. So, Anthony, to, to get the ball rolling here even more, um, we'll jump in. You know, I'm curious to hear your story, looking at the different things that you've done in different domains. What would you say is your favorite mistake? It's mm, a good question. So I, I had some time to think about this. And I think my greatest mistake was opening a business after the NFL. And, and I, I love the thought of like your greatest mistake because it's such an interesting oxymoron, right? Like your favorite mistake. But here's why it was a mistake. Uh, is like I opened it in 2008 in a, uh, a pretty, it's, like, it's my hometown, not, not an affluent town by any means. And I was giving this, this service of a, a gym. I was going to go and train youth athletes in an environment where no one knew about it. This was before like CrossFit even entered the area. No one knew what I was doing. Uh, and I had no clientele. I'd never even owned a gym business. I'd never even had a gym membership. I knew nothing. And to be honest, I was about to sign a lease. My wife had me bring a lease down, but I signed a lease, in fact, for 8,000 square feet of space. 
and I had no clients, no plan. And I, I only got like two months of free rent. And in my head, I'm like, I'm going to get it done. And fast forward nine months. And this is after the NFL. This is actually right after I'd left the NFL. Fast forward nine months, a guy rolls up on a Harley. He gets off the bike. He gets the envelope, walks inside, says, are you Anthony Trucks? Say, yeah. Hands me an envelope, walks out the door. I open the envelope. And if you guys know how this works, it's called service. <laughs> so he served me with the landlord. I hadn't paid rent in three months. I had no, I couldn't make money and money. I know what I was doing. So I naive, you know, naivete of my, of a young guy. I also at the same time had a, a wife and three kids. Uh, so I just left the NFL. We'd had a couple more kids. So I'm in a situation where I'm looking at possible bankruptcy. I got two weeks to figure out how to pay more money than I have easily four times more than I had. I had to figure out how to pay my mortgage at home, how to be a dad. Like I was, everything was falling apart all because I had this thought of like, let me jump into business without knowing anything about business and having, I didn't even have an internship. This is right after the NFL. I left the NFL and got hurt August 8th, 2008. I opened the gym business. This was pretty much January 1st, 2009, four months after getting hurt. Right. So that was the biggest mistake, but it led to a lot of stuff, man. I don't know how deep you want me to go, but it led me to the depths of my, of my humanity. Because at a moment in time, like I grew up in foster care, a lot of stuff happened there. I, I also grew up in a really poor, all white family, adopted at 14, had a kid at 20 years old, met my real dad at 20 years old, lost family to suicide and cancer. Like a lot of different things happened. And at this moment in my life after the NFL, like I, I didn't have any other identity except for the one that's like when football's gone, I'm a nobody. That was it. So football gone. So now football's gone. I got this gym business I'm trying to build and I'm trying to sink into that. That's suck. It's falling apart. Then my marriage falls apart because I'm at this place all day. I'm talking 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. trying to figure it out. I'm gone. My wife's at home with a, a four-year-old and newborn twins, which is crazy. Uh, on top of that, I'm out of shape. So like I'm stress eating and I'm at the gym covering my belly with a hooded sweatshirt. And then I just, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I, I, the way I say it is pretty much everything that made me, me was washed away. And while I'm talking about me, anybody who's had any time invested in something in their life, whether it's, I've been invested in a business and I've been in born marriage or in my health or I'm a parent, no matter what it is, at some point, whether by choice or by chance, like the choice could be, I want to sell the business. I want to get a new job, right? Or by chance, you know, something happens in my health or whatever is, when you wake up one day and you can no longer do that thing you've been doing, you're met with this gaping hole. Like, who in the world am I? And I had that hole immensely large. All the, all the stuff from my past poured in. And so I, I was actually suicidal. I'm like, I don't want to live here anymore. If this is what life is like after the game of football, I'm like, I don't want to do this thing. And, and the reason it was my greatest mistake is because if I don't start that gym, I don't get put in that, that really like that pressure situation to have to revisit everything, have life completely fall apart to then force me to finally figure it out. And, and I think what's crazy is whenever you finally figure it out, you start to see all these things as actually never being mistakes, which I think is kind of part of this show, right? It was, it was actually, it was necessary. I don't like what happened. But man, do I have such a depth of appreciation for every single moment of those sleepless nights, arguments, fights, feeling like nothing, even the mistakes that led from that. When you get divorced, you don't always go do the best things. You know, you're hanging out and partying and, and you know, multiple partners and stuff, which I 
not a fan of. Like I was a Christian man, still am, but at that time I, I disappeared from the faith a little bit, to be honest. But all these mistakes, they get me to the point where I'm like, now I'm like, oh man, I got wisdom. Because what do they say? They say that um, good decisions are born of bad decisions, right? Like it's born of, of or sorry, yes, it is. Good decisions are born of bad decisions. Oh, no, no. Good decisions are born of experience and experience is born of bad decisions. That's what it is. Good decisions are born of experience. So my decisions are from experience and that experience came from bad decisions, bad things I did, mistakes. So for me in my life now, I'm like, man, yeah, I don't, I don't like that it happened, but man, am I happy it did because I would not be where I'm at living the life I am now, which you've mentioned the Ninja Warrior. I actually remarried my ex-wife. We have an amazing marriage. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I got thriving business. I serve people. I got happy kids that see their dad every day. Like, yeah, man, my life is completely night and day from what it was. And uh, it's all because yeah. I, I naively opened up a business after football. Yeah. So how, you know, cause the, the theme here is not to, um, you know, shame anybody over mistakes, of course, but to talk about the, the, the learning and the redemption and, and, and the other chances from that moment of, of having those papers served what I, I'm, I'm guessing that business kind of, you know, uh, came to a close and, and, and how did you apply those lessons into your next ventures of, you know, like you said, having been maybe a little naive going into that first one? Yeah. Yeah. So the funny thing is it didn't close. <laughs> I'm a madman, dude. I am a weird human. So I, in my head, I hear, listen, outside of my head, I had two voices that were very important. My wife's voice, and my best friend's voice. And both those voices said, close it down. Chalk it up, file bankruptcy, move on. We don't got time to just do something. Other part was like, well, I technically have two weeks to figure this out. <laughs> so I said, technically, and even then I came to find like eviction processes. Like that's a process. You got to go through like the courts. And I'm like, so I really got more than two weeks, right? So I'm like, well, how, what do I do? Because I'm, I'm built in a way where I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that when I lay my head in the pillow, I can at least say that everything I, I did, I, I, everything was in me to figure out I'm going to do that. If I, if I don't, then I'll carry that for the rest of my life. That's the same thing we talked about before with that show I was talking about. Like I, that's how I'm built. I cannot walk away and not know that I did every human part of me. So I did, man. I, I said, okay, what does it look like? Uh, well, first off, I had no idea what I was doing. If I kept doing what I was doing, I was going to get to the same place. So I was like, I need some help. I actually went out and I, I sought help. I, I just will give the actual numbers. At the time, after investing in the gym, I had about $4,000 to my name. I owed $16,000. That's it. So I was like, all right, well, this is, this is not talking about mortgage paying bills, taking care of the kids at home. Like, I, right? So I couldn't even give it over. So I had 4000 in my name and I had two weeks to figure it out. And I'm like, well, shoot, what do I do, man? And so I was like, well, I, I need help. And so I went and found a coach. I had a guy that someone recommended. And so I reached out to him. And he's like, I, I charge $6,000. Like, can I get this guy? And he says, no, wisely. And I said, well, what can I do? He says, well, you pay whatever you got. I was like, well, all I got is $4,000, but that's all I got. He's like, well, we'll start there. I was like, damn. And I'm telling you, man, it was the hardest choice in the moment to make because I don't know if it's coming back. But I did. I, I paid him four. And I said, the only, you're not, the only two, the, the extra two is not coming unless you help me get the extra two. And so that was the fastest and hardest two weeks in business in my life. That in and of itself was like a year of college because I, I learned more about myself and what I didn't want to know about myself in that time than ever. The first couple of days he poked holes in me. He broke that ego of the NFL guy quick that I'm amazing, that I'm great. I have my degree in kinesiology. Everyone's in a train with me. He's like, 
No one cares about what you did, dude. Nobody cares. What can you do for them? In a gym business, what can you do for them? He says, what happens if someone walks in the door? Like, what, what, what do you say to them? I don't know, whatever I feel like. He goes, that's not a system. What if somebody says, I want to buy something? What do you offer? I don't know. We kind of make it up a little bit. Okay. Well, what happens if, you know, this person, you know, comes in and want to bring a friend? I, I've never had it happen. I don't know. Like nothing. He's like, I don't even know you've been alive this long, dude. He's like, you don't have a business. You have a doors with weights inside. This isn't a business. So I'm like, oh, he's like, you need to start making systems. And on top of that, he's like, you need to go and find, you need to find a person who can help you understand how to renegotiate this lease and be able to take what you owe and work it into the future of what you owe. Like, so pretty much your rent's going to go up three, four months from now, but that's how we're going to keep you alive. And he says, then do this. He made me make what's called an ABC list. This was the, the scariest thing ever. So ABC is simple. A is the people that have taken part in what I do and are ambassadors for the brand. B, people who know what I do, but have not taken part in what I do yet. C, people who have no idea who I am or what I do. He says, I need you to go tonight and get your phone out and fill the list of C's. I need 250 people on the C list. And I go, man, like, I don't know if I got 250. He goes, open your phone right now. So I open the phone. He says, do you see the names and numbers in there? And I go, yeah. He goes, how many? And I was like, 500 or something. He goes, okay, we're going to add them to the list. I'm like, this is like my uncles and my aunts. So I was like, he's like, we're call, like uncles, aunts, family. For, yeah. And what do I want to say? He says, tell them your business isn't doing very well and you need some help. Do they know anybody who might want to train with you? I'm like, you want me to tell people I'm not doing well? Yes. Do you want to, do you want to succeed? Ah, right. So I started doing this, bro. The first call, it felt like it took me an hour just to work up the, the gumption, just to hit the dial and hit send. But you do the first one, it's like pulling teeth and the second one, third one. By the 10th one, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to die. And then here's the crazy thing, dude. <laughs> Within that week, by the next week, we'd already brought in $8,000 in new revenue. from simply making a phone call. Matter of fact, three months from there, we went from bringing in about six to 7000 a month to, and that, that was before paying the trainers and paying the power to keep the place alive. It cost about that much to run it. Three months later, we were bringing in about $27,000 a month. It was like twenty-seven, twenty-eight in that window. Three months later, I, in fact, we invested like in, in a couple of years later, opening to a new location. And oh, so like okay. that business, dude, was a hard, hard push. We actually got it figured out. It just took a whole lot of really like gut wrenching exercises of doing things out of my comfort zone. Well, and it's, it's good to, to seek out help. I mean, when you think of your time uh, playing football, you have coaches, you have mentors, and it sounds like you, you dropped yourself into a business world with, without coaches and hundred uh, percent did yeah. no idea what I was doing when, you know, so uh, on your website, there's a really interesting phrase there. I'm going to just read it for the audience and, and maybe ask you to elaborate on this. Anthony um, says, when you drop your ego past mistakes, flaws, and fear of failure, you can find your internal fire to catapult you into the life you want and deserve um, of, of the different thoughts are you already mentioned, you know, the idea of, you know, being really successful at a high level, playing football, uh, the Oregon Ducks, being in the NFL for a number of years. Um, I, I'm making a mistake here and trying to ask a question or to build, <laughs> uh, to ask you to kind of build upon that thought. I mean, do you think, uh, how, how much did that ego um, adjustment yeah. help you here in, in other ventures? The, the, you know, because people will say all the time, so here, here's maybe a better formed question. Um, I think people use the word humbled incorrectly sometimes. Like they, they win some award and they say, this is really humbling. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds like what happened to you at the early stages of those business, uh, of, of your gym business was really 
truly humbling as me stumbling through a question is humbling. I'll, I'll get out. I'll get out of your way here. Sorry. No, I got it, man. It's, I, you know, you do this enough. You start to understand, like I can tell where your brain's going. It's like expand upon that, but like, where does ego play in and, and what like the humbling aspect, what does it actually mean? Cause that's really what it is. It's humbling. When you play at a high level or you have success anywhere, you have a natural part of an ego that's built. And I call ego everyone's greatest obstacle. So we don't realize that the ego is actually the thing that protects the current identity of who we are. So for me, and it, it looks, it shows up negatively. My ego is protecting the identity of the football player for a long time. I good. I got this. I don't need your help. I can fight. I can figure it out. Like, whoa, you know, and the reality was like, no, you don't know what you're doing at all. There's no part of you that has any clue. You have no experience. You just, you can work real hard in a weight room. You can tackle people. You cannot run a business, right? But the problem is our ego will not let us feel the pain of inadequacy. And so what happened for me was like where, where I initially was able to grow as a better person was in the business, but it, man, it trickled out to the rest of my life later on because I understood like, okay, well, it's okay to say I don't know how to do this. In fact, if I, if I can do that, I actually give myself permission to improve. If not, you cut off the people trying to help you get better and you don't get any better. So like, yeah, when that, they word that statement, it's like when you can drop the ego, right? And put all that stuff to the side and like, and, and let go of the fear of what could go wrong and realize this, this is a crazy thing that it took me a while to understand as a, as a man now is I, I do not attach my ego to anything I've created or to outcomes. I think a lot of people, they attach their ego to um, the car I've got, the house I have, you know, that my hair, how my skin looks maybe, or, or whatever it is, the money I've made, right? They attach to that. And then what happens is these things, they can wither, they can die, they can fall apart, we can lose them. I have always, this since that moment, I've attached myself to the effort. So that way I'm not afraid of failing and the ego doesn't play much of a, a part, right? So when I look at things I don't want to do, how I feel, I'm like, hey, here's all I know I can do. If I am a guy that I trust that I'm going to work hard, like, and I, and we know what it hard means, right? And I, hard for me is like, I'm going to work myself to the point where I don't want to do it. And then I'm going to do more because that's the actual level my dream needs past my current level of what I believe hard is. So if I can do that, then inevitably either you win or you can go to sleep at night knowing you did your best. Now, nine times out of 10, you actually win and you win better than you thought you were going to win, but it doesn't happen if you let your ego protect you and force you not to do the effort and put the work in. Or if you're so afraid of failing, you create really good excuses to avoid the situation. So when you can do that, that's why it becomes this catapult to a whole new level. Because now it's like, well, you know what? If I fail, I'm not a failure. I just failed, but I tried my, I literally tried my best, right? Or if something happens and all of a sudden, like I'm embarrassed by it, it's like, all right, yeah, I tried. I look stupid. I, I made this claim and didn't come out like, hey, you know what? I legit, I tried more than you did. And to be honest, when I go to bed at night, I know I can't think of anything more I would have done. And if there's something more, I'll go do it, right? So when, I, when you can drop the ego and let go of that fear and attach yourself to the effort that creates the outcomes, man, it catapults to a whole other level of effort you'll give somewhere else. Well, I think that's really insightful what you said there, Anthony. Um, the idea of, um, I did something that failed, but that doesn't mean I am a failure. Yeah. I think that's really powerful to let that kind of sink in. Um, I want to ask you also about the idea of fear of failure. And, and I've, I've had a chance to ask um, you know, uh, another uh, former NFL player, a, a retired NHL hockey player 
um, about the idea of making mistakes on the field where you know you're on the defensive side of the ball. There might be mistakes that a casual fan like myself wouldn't notice, but then there's something, let's say, you know, an interception that goes right through your hands. How did you view mistakes on the field? The, the, did you have a fear of failure? Um, that, did, did, that, did that affect your play? Or were you, did you get better at bouncing back from the idea of failure or mistakes on the field? Yeah. So there, there is the times that I was in the middle of it and then the times now where I look back upon it and they're different. So in the middle of it, it eats at you because you just want to be, you want to do great things. My coach was actually pretty good in college. He was the first, that's the first time I played at a high level was college. But he's like, hey, bro, take the chip out, put a new one in. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, every play, you, you got you a chip, like a video game chip in there. He's like, take that play out, um, take the chip out, put a fresh one in and go to work. At the end of the game, we'll put them all into the computer and take a look at all the chips. He's like, but I can't have you bring that chip to the next play. You're going to ruin the next play. And so I was actually, was, he was wise, man. He's like, well, yeah, you made a mistake. I know you did. It was horrible. We could have been thin and lost the game. But right now, the only way we can make the game better is by this next play, you doing better. And if you bring that over, we ruin the chance of that happening. So that was a perspective. Now, I came to learn later about a concept of, of like how you can reframe failures. And this is actually how I live my life now. There's actually like six levels of failure. And there's like three above what I call the learning line. The top one's called abject, which is the end of the world. You know, somebody died, can't come back. The next one's called structural, which is like a big piece broke. It could be fixed, but the amount of effort made like in, in place to fix it would be so heavy. It'd be, most people want to, don't want to do it. Then glorious, like I don't even want to look at it. It sucks. I'm walking away. Those three people, usually it's so painful emotionally to revisit them that they don't. I don't learn from it. I just keep repeating the problem. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. And then you move on. And what happens? You're dating the same girl with a different name because you can't figure out how that, you know, realize these girls aren't for you or you, you can't figure out why your business won't, won't work well. And you keep bombing businesses because whatever it is, you just don't learn, right? Then you have what's called the learning line. And below this is where most of the learning takes place. It's the common failure, why the apology was made. I made a mistake, absent-minded, messed up, my bad. The bottom two are my favorite. The one that's below that's called version failure. This version of me tried its best, did what it did, but realized it could have done it better. It learns from the mistake. I learned what went wrong. I had, so this is like, I learned what went wrong. Maybe this version of me in my business wasn't that great. This version of me in my relationship wasn't great. What did I learn so I could make iPhone two, three, four, five, right? The next version is the phones. Next version of me. The bottom one is my favorite. This is where I try to live every day. It's called predictable failure. When I played sports, anytime I go to the field, I know I'm going to get yelled at. Every practice, every game, I can't be perfect. And none of us are perfect. So if I predict the fact that I'm going to fail and not do perfect, it's actually good because now I'm like, great, I am actively seeking the holes in the bucket. So I'm going to do, do the best I can because I'm trying to get the predictable. What, what can I do better? What can I do better? And I can operate in this level. And now what happens is no failure is a failure. It's just genuinely a lesson. The problem with most people is they take what could be a predictable or version or common failure, and they shoot it up above that line, the learning line, and make it either abject or structural or glorious. So, you know, the relationship failed. I'm unlovable. You're not unlovable. You just don't communicate well and you keep leaving the toilet seat up, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? That version of you kind of sucks. Or I can never run a business. No, you can. You can. You just can't run it the way you ran it, right? And businesses in and of itself, like you're trying to figure out what's going to go wrong today. It's, it's, can you understand living a life of a predictable failure and be okay managing that, right? 
So when I look at failure now, the lens is vastly different. If I could have had that thought back then, I probably would have pushed even more than I do now because I'm not going to lie and say I didn't you know, ever have an apprehension of what could go wrong and slow down. Of course we do. I, that naturally did it. But now it's a different, a different tick, a different pace because I understand like truly no failure is the end. It's always a lesson. Yeah. I mean, we could call this podcast, uh, if, if I hadn't titled that my favorite mistake, we could call it version failure because that's yeah. really what, <laughs> what we're talking about here. Um, predictable failure, I think is a really interesting idea because there are times when I can predict I'm going to ramble my way through an attempt at asking a question. I'm going to ask three questions all at once. And, you know, it's, it's putting my guest in a bad position of unpacking, um, these questions instead of asking one question, then another, yeah. um, then another. So I, to, to use your phrase, I, 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 I know it seems like I'm dwelling on it. I'm going to take the chip out. We're going to keep moving forward. Put new chip in, my man. I'm all for it. So I want to hear your thoughts, Anthony, on on the word identity and the concept around that. And and how much of this is talking about professional identity versus personal identity? Tell us what you've learned about this this word. Well, the thing is you have different identities. Who I am with my wife on date night is not who I am with you right now. If I did, it would be weird, man. I'd be, you know, like, hey, baby, be weird, right? (laughs) No. But we genuinely have, you know, parenting identities, how you show up in sports. There's, like, there's different people. I, I used to play with Troy Palomalu and Troy was with the Steelers. And Troy was such a nice, graceful person off the field, like a, a genuine joy, sweet human being, man. On the field, he was an animal. I'm talking a completely different human. <laughs> you didn't want to get in his way. He might hit you. You know what I'm saying? Like that is the thing. And so like we have different identities. The, here's a big thing people don't grasp, though. Our identity is, it's who we are when we are not thinking about who we are. It's the actions we take unconsciously. It's a collection of our habits. It's our mindset. It's our belief systems. It's a thought. It's all these things, right? It's actually, it it comprises six areas that make up your identity, but they are not things we're consciously thinking about. We can pause at times and pay attention, but typically it's just that. And those show up in the actions that craft our life. So whether I make money, don't make money, I'm happy, I'm not, like these are actually parts of your identity. And it's programmed in a way that we're unintentionally doing from teachers, preachers, coaches, leaders, survival, moments, experiences. And they just create this human and then we live our life from that. And what's odd is like where this thing is running our life, rarely are we ever running it. And no one ever goes back and says, well, how was I, how was I programmed? Like really, how, how did I come to pass and be this person? And then on top of that, like, if I want it, if I want something more, like how do I get something more as this person? And the, the, there's no one asked that question, which I believe is the most important question. Because here's what I look at, and there's a lot of ways you can think of what is identity, how does it work. But I always tell people, hey, if you want to be, you know, more successful, what do you, what do you got to do? And they go, I got to go buy some more books. I got to join this program, get this course. I got to. Okay, great. All right. Well, let me ask this question: Have you ever been in a moment in time where you knew exactly what you were supposed to do, but it didn't get done? You go, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Let, well, let me think about this. Let, let's talk about that moment. And this, seriously, I want people to listen and people lean into this moment and pay attention to what I'm saying because it could be a game changer for you. I have clients that I have come on and we'll work through stuff. We'll lay a plan out, get a vision of what they want to have, how they want to create it. All this stuff gets laid out and they know what to do. And then I'll get a call or a message or we'll find a, a coaching call and go, hey, um, get that done. No, I didn't get it done. Well, why didn't you get it done, man? Well, you know, I, the, the kids were acting up. My wife was doing this, had this, this situation. I was traveling, whatever it may be. I go, okay, great. 
Remember that thing you told me you wanted, like that dream life, that house, the car, the body? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would the person who has that right now have made this same excuse? And the answer is always no. They go, ah, you're right. It's, it's the truth, right? So I go, so it's not, it's not what you know. It's who you are with what you know. So if I can get you to shift into that identity, doesn't mean changing your persona. You're not, I'm not talking about like going and having like a Ken, you know, Caitlyn Jenner. We're not, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about shifting at the core of you, how you believe things, think through things, operate your habits, like these, these little things that make up your identity. If we could shift those intentionally for the first time, you'd find that everything you want comes to you. Because the thing is, is this is, there's two parts of action. There's two sides of it. And here's the thing in business. And we know this, <clears throat> the actions create the business. Now, if the actions that create the business for me and you are the exact same, there's two sides of the coin. On one side of the coin, it's not who I am. Therefore, it's pulling teeth to get it done. I don't like making the cold calls. I don't like doing the systems. I don't want, but I do them. Oh, I do, right? Well, six months in, either you did them half, I did them halfway, or I didn't do them at all. Whereas for you, if you have shifted your identity towards who you are to do that, where it's hard for me to do it, it's hard for you not to do it. So it gets done at a high level consistently. Who do you think has a better business? The person who it was easy for. It was actually fun. And the reason they did it is because they stayed in alignment with who they are. I believe the majority of us humans, we go to bed trying to make sure we were in alignment with who we saw ourselves to be. That's why if I miss a workout, I eat some bad food. I'm like, ah, that's not who you are, Anthony, right? We, we try to stay in alignment. The problem is people are aligning with a lower level version of themselves and if you can shift that to a higher level identity, man, life changes for you. So one thing I hear you saying is that identity, when you say it's who we are when we're not thinking about it, that sounds like an authentic sense of self, as opposed to, I was about to throw in the word persona, that might be kind of a veneer or an appearance or somebody's, I, I can think of you know a leader early in my career um, who I think acted in a way that was a persona. Like he felt like the company required him to yell and scream at people. May he thought he was a football coach. And I know not all football coaches are like that, but he would belittle people and it was, it was not um, yeah. helpful, but that probably wasn't really his identity. Cause we, we had a conversation about it once before I left the company. And mm -hmm. so it seems like there's a, a stress that's created when we're not acting in a way that's authentic with our identity. Is that fair to say? Part of it's that. The way I look at it is there, there is a misalignment. And you will, you will feel it every day. When I look at it as like being the aspect of, you know, who you are, we aren't thinking about who you are. I'm talking like a psychological neuroscientific way. In fact, if I was to ask you right now, who are you? A part of your brain lights up. You start thinking about the cars, the house, the things I've accomplished, the awards I got. I'm a dad. I'm a husband, right? When here's the crazy thing. You know when we daydream? You ever like day, just sit there in your daydream, you look up. We're naturally judging people thinking the, the brain just going. The funny part is what, what lights up is a place called the default mode network, which is actually where your identity resides. When I ask you, who are you? It shuts down. When you start daydreaming, it is bright as day. It lights up and it's just processing in your natural state. That's why if like, you know, somebody cuts you off, my natural state is like, what are you doing? You a-hole, right? That's your identity right there, man. Sure, yeah. And that doesn't show up just in somebody cutting you off. That shows up in your kids did something that pissed you off. Your wife didn't make dinner on the table. Your, your employees didn't get that thing done. Like that's now being expressed out. 
So the problem is most people that they just are okay with it happening. And they think, oh, it's just who I am. Nah, it's who you're choosing to be right now. And, and just like your guy at work, that's who he chose to be. He didn't, he didn't intentionally do it. Maybe, maybe he saw someone thought, but he never stopped and said, man, this, it, it, the way I'm expressing myself, is this actually getting me where I want to go? And what happens is people think if I just, it's like being in first gear. If I just press first gear fast hard enough, I'll go faster. No, you're always going to be stuck in second, first gear. Let's hit the clutch and shift to second gear. You're always going to be pushing in like, you know, a first gear with a clutch car, you press that gas, you start bouncing, man. And, you can't go any faster, but you keep right. the engine revs up. You're going to burn out your engine. Yeah, all that stuff. So the idea is you got to pay attention to who you are and get out of first gear. So on Anthony's website, uh, anthonytrucks.com, and I'll link to this in the show notes, the, there's a survey there. And I took that survey uh, yesterday. And it nice. talks about identity and uh, the different categories. It, it described me as a slow dreamer. Ooh, so I was curious to hear your reaction. And, you know, there, there was a PDF and, and there, there was information yeah. that was sent. But what, so tell me what, what's the thought behind the, 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 the noise that you made. Um, yeah. Is there a need to, when you talk about shifting an identity, like when I hear slow dreamer, I think, wait a minute, that, that sounds a little problematic. It might not yeah, be inaccurate. Yeah, it's the thing is we are maybe just that version of your identity when you're answering that where you pictured yourself. Because whenever the questions are asked, you picture like one of the questions be like when you see an opportunity. Well, we may think like business opportunity, right? That or is it a, a opportunity to go play sports with my kids? So it's how you frame it in that identity. So first, leave it there. Um, so it may not be that you collectively are a slow dreamer because you wouldn't have this podcast if everywhere in your life you were a slow dreamer. Let's put it that way. But what I looked at is. Human beings, we have like, we're always trying to find a way to get where we want to go destination wise. And like a GPS, we can chart that. But if you don't know where you're at, you have no idea to really chart that path. So we end up doing things that take us in the wrong direction because we never had a clue where we were starting. So this is whole thing's designed around this concept. Now, I believe in my experience that people, you're met with opposition and opportunity consistently. Pretty much it. There's opportunity in some capacity, capacity and there's opposition in some capacity. How I approach those determines really where I'm starting at. So I can either see opportunity and take advantage of it because I love the idea of it, or I can second guess it. I can be apprehensive. I could be slow to act. I can, you know, all these different things. So I may kind of go slow. And then in opposition, some people go, opposition, give me it. I got this. I'm tackling it, right? <laughs> some people go, opposition, I'm, I'm running away. I was doing a drill with some football players yesterday. And like, when a guy comes at them, they like to run away. Some people run away from opposition, right? So where those two interact and cross will usually show you who you are. So in that identity you had, some part of you said, look, when opportunity comes up, I'm very, I'm hesitant. I slow down. And then when opposition shows up in this identity, also, I don't, I don't tackle it that quick as I should. So what happens, I go slow. And what shows up for a lot of people in the experience of my work I do is this is the dreamer who says, I want to have a, a nice brand new, new life. I want to have a six pack abs, man. I want to have this amazing family and marriage. However, when the pretty girl walks in, he doesn't go take the opportunity to get her number. Or if somebody challenges him in some capacity, he hasn't stand up for himself. So all of a sudden the dream is there, but it stays a dream. And so this is not every area of your life. Cause again, you wouldn't have this podcast. You would have been too scared of the opportunity to launch it. You would have been too afraid of the opposition of what comes along. So this identity of this is not a slow dreamer, but that one you took it with wherever it was going in your head shows up. Right? So that's what that quiz is about. And there's different ones. 
the one you desire to get to in time is the go, like the, the doer identity, which pretty much like I'm, I'm a go person. And what that looks like is someone who goes after opportunity because they realize that's how you have success and they are not afraid of opportunity because they know they can tackle the opposition. And also, if they go towards opposition, they know that when they tackle it, it creates more opportunity. It's a positive synergy. Those are doers. Those are people who like, you're going to see my dream once it's built. And you know the question was the the questions in that survey were focused a lot on responding to opposition or setbacks, and it makes me think of um, you know the idea of resiliency. Yeah. Um, if you if you get tackled, do you get back up again? If you slip and fall, do you get back up again? There, there's an old Japanese proverb of you know something to the effect of um, you know fall down seven times, get up eight. Yeah. You know, um, trying to have that that's that perseverance, which, you know, I think uh, I, I have exhibited in a lot of ways. But um, so sometimes it's a struggle to not get discouraged by an obstacle. So maybe that's where yeah. some of that um, survey human. result came back from. 100 percent human, dude. I, I guarantee you there are parts of my identity where I'm slow. It's just that I'm a dreamer. It's just different things that we just all have to like. I think we have to be OK with the fact that we are not perfect beings, man. And. And when somebody like says something like you don't have to compare yourself to this person's area, what they do, it's a really weird way. Like our brain just has these things that are like continuous roadblocks and speed bumps. I, I tell people we, none of us really dream at full speed very often that, that feeling of like, think about being in a car on a, on a desert road. Like, you know, it's not 125 degrees outside, but the top down just, you know, winds blowing through your hair, you're hydrated. It's like your heart beats the speed, the feel, the vibration, right? There's that, uh, and when you have a great idea, it feels like that. But then if you had in that same car to have a bunch of speed bumps, you wouldn't get to, you'd stop the car, slow it down, left turn, right turn, it would slow it all down. And we throw these speed bumps in of fear of failure, fear of rejection, uh, you know, things that aren't going to pan out. We, we beat ourselves up. We don't believe. So we start throwing these speed bumps down on our road. So we never dream at full speed. So as you coach people, Earlier, you talked about versions. It sounds like you're helping someone become that next version, that better version of themselves. Very well said, yeah. And in fact, the book I wrote, uh, it's, it's literally based on upgrading how you operate. In the, the book, I have a concept around the computer, which we are computers. And if you think about the hardware and software, the hardware is our body, the software is the identity. And if you understand how to upgrade, you're just upgrading to a new version, 100% the way you said it. And, and when you do that, you get to a better level of control. Like my big thing, if you looked at our company like values and vision, one of the big things for us is getting people to feel a limitless state of ridiculous power. Sounds odd, but I, man, when we work with people, you come out of this thing where like, there's a different sense of power and control you have over anything in your life, the dreams you have. And then now what happens is success happens more often and easier with less stress, but that's the person I need people to shift into. And that's where we get them to. Yeah. So you mentioned the book, and before we we delve into that for a second, um, tell the audience about the two podcasts and, and what's different about them: Aw Shift and Shift Starter. Yeah, yeah. So Aw Shift podcast is an interview podcast, and the idea was like I wanted to meet cool people, so I, <laughs> I started a podcast to start having a reason to ask people to talk to them. And it was like 280 episodes ago. Now it's a cool thing, man. I get to bring awesome people on, have about 25, 30 minute chat, and extract their Aw Shift moment: Aw Shift good or Aw Shift bad. And the lesson they learned, what they did with it, it's pretty much it. Like what happened in life. So it's a cool little interview process. 
And then I started having people ask me, hey, Anthony, man, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And in the interviews, like, I don't get to really hear you expand too much. I was like, that's right. So what I chose to do is start a daily podcast called Shift Starter Daily. It's eight minutes. Uh, I record them every week and I just go in and just, I have a chat around what's going on in life. And I, I rattle off a bunch of random thoughts and ideas to inspire and to motivate and to teach. Eight minutes. A lot of people, like, they start their morning with it, man. There's a couple of people every day that listen to it. <laughs> it's their starter. So I call it the shift. And the reason I do that is because it's wrapped around a concept of, of a type of human. The shift starter daily is like, I, my people are shift starters. And it's like, if you remove the F, you get it. Like, you start stuff. And what I mean by that is like, <laughs> you start a dream. You start a vision. You start this, this direction towards some kind of passion. But it also starts with making that shift inside. So it's a duality. I'm starting shift inside to change my life outside. And the book, Make Shift Happen. Congratulations on uh, the release here. Make Shift Happen, How to Up Your Game and Elevate Your Success in Life. You know, as, uh, as, as an author, I know and I appreciate, you know, it's a big undertaking. So I'm, I always like to ask authors, you know, what, what was the driving force behind not just starting to write a book, but to actually bringing it to the goal line here, if you will. Yeah, well, it's actually called Identity Shift. I, the, the title, somewhere the, the title got mixed up. You're not the only person to say that. I have no idea where it went, but it's okay. Don't even feel bad at all because I got a chance to talk about it. Hey, It's called so Identity it's, Shift. Identity Shift, upgrade how you operate so you can make a, a, a upgrade you operate to elevate your life. And so the book is funny is, I, I had this book stirring. I, I have this weird way of like, I, I mentally dump things. So I take ideas and notes and I put them places. And I started a process of like, if I was writing my next book, what would be the stories I'd want in the book? What would the, the concepts I want to convey? You know, how would I weave them together? And I just, I started throwing it onto an Evernote. And then at some point I was talking to somebody about like, I got this book I'm working on. He's like a New York Times bestseller. He's like, I got a publisher. We want to talk to him. I'm like, I'll talk to him. You know, so I talked to Hay House at one point. And they, kind of move forward and like it kind of stalled because that happens. So I'm talking to this guy and he's like, yeah, let's do it. And so he brought me on and we signed the contract. We got it all done. And then it, it kind of came into fruition. So funny thing is when it kind of started, it was like, it wasn't something that I pushed heavy, but then I started realizing societally, we really have this kind of issue with identity. We've outsourced it to social media. We don't know half the time who we are. We are, we are to the point where there's so much information that we don't realize, again, that the information is not the big issue now. It's who you are with it. So it's a good time for the book. And it kind of came out in its own way, the way it needed to be. And the process has actually been kind of enjoyable because I've already done so much on it. At the time when I had kind of come with the publisher, it was really easy. I just pretty much was organizing at that point. What, what is the order of the concepts? What are the stories that match to that? Um, what are the teaching pieces? What's the, the, the studies I want to weave into it, right? That kind of stuff with just... I was do it. And then I just sat down and wrote and I got a really structured life. A lot of how I'm able to create control for me is simply by having a, a really detailed planner that gives me both freedom, but great structure. And so I was able to sit down and I wrote the book. In fact, the publisher said, I, he, I wrote the book faster than anybody's ever seen write a book. And it was just, it was like a sit down. I had to organize and just flew through it. Well, that's the thing you had, you had done all that work in advance and then it, then it flowed. Yeah, it flowed. Exactly. Out of that. So this has happened before of, uh, you know, a, a book title or a subtitle changes during the production process. And sometimes the notes that come from the PR people or, or something is out of date. I'm not throwing them under the bus, but um, to, I, I'm just thinking back to something you, you said earlier. In a way, that's a predictable failure. 
that. Yes. Okay, so maybe my lesson learned is to all, you know, because I, I try not to mispronounce anybody's name. And so with many guests, Anthony Trucks, I didn't think I needed uh, to do that. But mm -hmm. I will always try to confirm and double check the correct pronunciation of somebody's name. Mm -hmm. I need to do the same kind of double check around book titles, especially if it hasn't, if it if it's on the verge of being released. That's that's yeah. a, a change I'll make to my system, maybe. It's fine. If not, I'm 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 not a weird guy like freaks out. I'm sure some people might get all weird out and twist it up and like, we gotta do it again. I'm just it's, it's human, man. <laughs> we are human beings. Nobody's perfect. And it makes for good listening because people are like, oh, they're real people too. And nothing's perfect. So life goes on. We're good. I very unintentionally demonstrate the, the, the idea. We're all human. We all make mistakes. But hey, life goes on. We learn from them and, and good yeah. things happen anyway. So I think this has been a great conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it too, Anthony. I have, man. Yeah, definitely have. I appreciate you. So I hope everyone will go check out Anthony's uh, website, anthonytrucks.com. You can find all of the links there to the podcast, to the book right there on the front page underneath this. Uh, tell me the story about the picture for those who are going to go look at the website. There's a picture of you on stage. Yeah. That's, Just, a, that's, a, that's a scream of excitement. <laughs> very emotional. Um, so it was at the back end of a speech I gave and I had this, there's a song I come on to. Right? It was the first time I came on to the song. And it's, it's like it's something where the guy goes, I'm a mother F and he goes beast. And I just, ah, I, I don't know, man, I let it out. I just, I it was like, the you know, when you used to play the game, you have like a great play and you just let it all loose. And I got a standing ovation in that song. They put the song on to walk me off. And I just stopped and just, I don't know. I let all, I let it all out before I walked off stage and they got a great shot of it. They did capture that moment. That's a great shot, but they're on, on the front page of the website under Anthony's picture on stage, there's the survey that I thought was really interesting. And I'm still going to process um, and think through what came in the report uh, that came as a result of that. Uh, the what's my identity type survey, I think it was really interesting and thought provoking, just as uh, everything you shared with us here today, Anthony. So thank you. Thank you again for being a guest with us. Hey, welcome, man. Enjoyed Seriously enjoyed being on. Appreciate you. Thanks again to Anthony for being our guest today. To learn more about him, for links to his website and his book and more, look in the show notes or you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake97. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.